You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions, which means uh, Kentucky's defensive coordinator during that 10-win season, Matt House, is also a Super Bowl champ. Of course, he left Kentucky to become the linebackers coach at Kansas City. But uh, I didn't really have a big rooting interest in the game. Uh, I just uh, like Andy Reid. He seems like a good guy. He's been around the league a long time, and uh, he's had a tough life, you know, with his family. And um, and so uh, happy for him, I guess, was the only thing uh, for me as far as rooting interest goes. Uh, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a fun game. It turned out to be entertaining in the end. Uh, UK had its Super Bowl commercial, its uh, football commercial that ran uh, in the first break of, of halftime, and it was I thought it was really well done. They they made a they did a great job of incorporating NFL guys like Danny Trevathan talking about uh, becoming a Super Bowl champ and Wesley Woodyard as a captain and um, Avery Williamson was in there and Randall Cobb talking about being a legend. Josh um, Allen, Josh Lynn Allen, Bowden. of course, yeah, Lynn Bowden. Um, and then they, they had the moment, um, I rewound it cause I didn't catch it the first time and, and didn't register with me. But my wife says, is that Jared Lorenzen's son? And I back it up and I swear I almost teared up when I saw it again and yeah. saw, saw him in there. Yeah. Um, that was a cool, that was a cool touch. They had him in there twice. They had him in there once sort of in passing and then they came back to him mm-hmm. about, uh, the whole thing is, you know, you learn this or that or this or that happens for you at Kentucky, and his line was where childhood dreams come true, which is – that'll get you in the gut. Yeah, and then they're right. all in with Terry Wilson, no doubt about it. He was uh, the yeah, one who delivered that? the last line of the commercial and has a shirt on that says, come see about it. Uh, so I can remember the Drew Barker, um, you know, Super Bowl commercial a few years ago. And they wound up being all in with him until he got injured. But uh, says a little something to me that they, they're going into the season with Terry Wilson uh, as the guy for people who are thinking, well, maybe Bo Allen could win the job or maybe um, the, the transfer from Auburn, Joey Gatewood, if he were to become eligible for this upcoming season, that he would be uh, someone that would compete for the job. And they'll probably lip service that, but it's, it's Terry Wilson's. Uh, I think we're... We're positive on that. By the way, we will talk about Kentucky's loss at Auburn. That is coming up. We'll get into that a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think the, the Super Bowl commercial was uh, was well done. I think they did a good job of showing where the program um, has come to, what it is now. Yeah, and they brought, they brought JoJo back. JoJo Kemp got another appearance. Uh, he, he, uh, that was the phrase, why not us? Yeah, uh, and so then it was uh, – why not now, right, was the, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Terry, the Terry Wilson line at the end. Why um, not now? Really well done, really highly produced. Looks like they spent some money on it um, per usual. I mean, they, that's one thing they've done every year since Soup's got here was the the high-end Super Bowl commercial. That you, they also had um, Cash Daniel sort of representing the in-state 
element. He said, you know, representing four million hardworking Kentuckians and mm-hmm. trying to strike that chord as well because they they went on this run of all these uh, star players they've had and naming off where they've gotten them from. Vince Merrill saying, you know, it opens with Stoops saying, "This is how you build a program," and a bunch of guys talking. Eddie Grand. And Vince Merrill saying recruiting, you know, guys from all over, and they they list off where they're from, you know, Benny Snell, a kid from Ohio, uh, Josh Allen from Jersey, um, uh, Randall Cobb from Tennessee. All those they all kind of pan all over the country, and then they uh, they bring it back to to home with uh, Cash Day. I mean, it's they they got a lot in that commercial, a lot of people, a lot of sort of ideas. Um, that was good. Very slick. Of course, several of those guys were not recruited by Mark Stoops. Uh, Danny Trevathan, Wesley Woodyard. True. Randy that is Cobb, true. Randall Cobb. Um, but, yeah, still. And, uh, by the way, we haven't talked – we haven't uh, done this podcast since Vince Marrow tweeted out that he's, his uh, desire to stay at Kentucky is greater than his desire to become the head coach at Youngstown State. So Told you. Yeah, you did. And he squashed that pretty quickly because uh, coming up on Wednesday is uh, National Signing Day, and uh, one of the guys they want was uh, had you know made some comments to twenty four seven Sports that he was uh, keeping an eye on that Vince Merrill to Youngstown State situation, and so that has resolved and been resolved within a day or two of uh, Merrow. Well, I guess within about three or four days of Merrow uh, having that interview where he sounded like he was selling himself, but. Yes, you were right, Kyle. Uh, didn't <laughs> seem like uh, there was much to it, really, when you get down to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm skeptical that this was the big win. Like Vince could have left to be head coach, and they, they, Kentucky was just in his heart. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that was the case, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but he said Kentucky, and it's important for Kentucky. Uh, Whether whatever the level of interest on Youngstown State's end, that being the thing I'm skeptical about, um, or whether they offered him a job or considered him a serious candidate, uh, regardless of all that, it is important for Vince Merrill to still be at Kentucky. So it's uh, it's a positive thing for sure, for all the reasons we talked about last week. And and immediately speaking, they may get their. Their uh, Lynn Bowden, their hopeful Lynn Bowden replacement in uh, Michael Drennan, who's set to make his decision and had kind of said, like, I don't know, you know, I feel the most comfortable with this coach and at this school, but, you know, if he's looking elsewhere, I've got to kind of reevaluate. So I think for that reason, more in the, in the immediate future is a big deal. Well, and it looks favorable for Kentucky on Wednesday because uh, Drennan, um, you know, talked about how he – has known Vince Merrill since eighth grade, that he's had a great relationship with him. And uh, you're talking about going to a school that's just a you know short drive from Ohio versus going out to Southern California and playing in L.A. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. But it seems favorable for Kentucky to wind up getting you know all the, the big guys that they really wanted uh, for this class. But, all right, coming up next, we're going to switch and talk about basketball. Uh, tough loss for Kentucky on the road at Auburn. In a uh, just not the way college basketball should be, or any basketball game that that you put on television and, and hope for people to watch and call it entertainment, um, uh, entertaining to some maybe, but uh, for most of us, that kind of game is just—it's just not what it's supposed to be. We'll discuss that in detail when we return on the Locked On 
Kentucky Podcast. At Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery, see 200 years of bourbon-making history in action. Smell the mash cooking. Touch the charred oak barrels aging in century-old warehouses. Hear the tales of bourbon legends Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee. And taste award-winning spirits at America's oldest continually operating distillery. Experience a tour for every taste. Buffalo Trace Distillery offers six unique complimentary tours seven days a week, year-round. Like the popular Trace Tour, or see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Visit the world's bourbon destination, Buffalo Trace Distillery. To learn more about the distillery's history and spirits, visit buffalotracedistillery.com. Mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace Distillery on the Locked on Kentucky podcast and get 10% off merchandise at the gift shop. You are Locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, we're back here on the Locked on Kentucky podcast. And Kyle, you were in Auburn for that uh, crazy environment in that game. And it turned out to do, uh, Auburn turned out to do exactly what we talked about on this very podcast on Friday. I, I brought up and mentioned that Auburn leads the SEC and is sixth nationally in free throw attempts going into that game. Uh, that Auburn leads the SEC in offensive rebounding. Uh, and that Auburn is, uh, leads the SEC in total rebounds and ninth nationally. And that's what it was. It was. Auburn winning the battle of the boards, 42-28, to 17-5 offensive rebounding, and then also going to the free throw line and knocking down 33 of 44. Uh, so those things played out. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a, uh, an ugly game that was over-officiated. I don't know if I'll say poorly necessarily, just over-officiated, which I think has become the problem in college basketball. But that that's – it still went according to Auburn's game plan. You know, I, I think the bottom line is Auburn did exactly what it set out to do, and K- Kentucky did not. Uh, they they looked to they they said, look, you know, Bruce Pearl said afterwards, you know, Maxie's great and Quickly's great. They combined for forty five points uh, and hit four of nine threes between them. So they like and nineteen of twenty two free throws between them. Mm-hmm. Um, they played well. Um, but he said, you know, to us, the keys are Hagens and Richards. So if we could take them away, we can win. Uh, and they did that. You know, Hagens played one of his worst games of the year, maybe his worst, fouled out with five points and six turnovers. Only um, played 20 and a half 20, minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, he played just he was, a little bit over a half a game. And he was a big minus. He's, I think, minus 11 in 21 minutes. I think that's right. That's it is. It's right. That's correct. Yeah. Um, minus 11 in 21 minutes. Nate Sestina was a minus 21 in 18 minutes, by the way. It was a rough, one of the roughest days he's had. No yes. points, over three from three. Well, it wasn't a game for him. Yeah, I mean, the matchups bad, were yeah. not in his favor whatsoever. There was no one on that floor for Auburn that he was going to yeah. be able to guard. But there were also, you know, not a lot of options. The whole team was in foul trouble. Right. Um, you know, every everybody had four or five fouls. Um, and so, really – We'll talk about the officiating, but, again, the point is really that it went according – you know, Auburn sort of imposed its will, its plan on Kentucky, and not the other way around. Kentucky did not make Auburn adjust uh, to it. And the fact that they just got clobbered on the glass, the the, the big guys completely let Kentucky down. Oh, Um, yeah. You know, Richards ended up with 7-7, and but he got a lot of those rebounds sort of later on. 
he went most of the game without having hardly anything on the board. Uh, and then, you know, Montgomery and Sestina combined had five rebounds. Oh, and Keon just had two. Yeah, it was it was just a bad a bad day on the glass and a bad day just get, getting manhandled. You know, Austin Wiley only played 18 minutes, but he got 12 points and 10 boards, and he really he made it when he was in the game. He made it really tough for Richards to get the ball. He made it tough for Richards to score. Um, it was like Nick got frustrated early, and and he was for the one of the first times all year he just wasn't able to sort of snap out of it. Um, and Wiley got in foul trouble early, and you thought that Kentucky would be able to take advantage didn't of that. Didn't take advantage game. at all. Yeah, their only true big man. And that, that was, I think, probably real disappointing when Cal goes back and looks at it. Um, you know, it's weird, though. All, all that said about, you know, Auburn doing what it wanted to do and Kentucky not, I almost, I do still almost feel like you have to, to a certain extent, just throw this game out because it was so unusual. Um, I mean, how yeah, the often, second most free throw attempts in the Calipari era against uh, one of his teams. Well, there were Kentucky. 38 combined made field goals, and there were 48, uh, 49 fouls, 38 made field goals, 49 fouls between the two teams, and 68 free throw attempts. Um, yeah. So it was an, a hideous game. I mean, just there was no flow, and frankly, as as like hot, you know heated up as that crowd was and, and packed in there and, you know, the potential for that to be great. And I've been there so many times and it was great compared to Arkansas and Texas tech. I didn't think it was even close. And I think a lot of that was that the air was kind of let out of the room by all these fouls. They didn't mm-hmm. get to get up and down and play. And this was nothing like the way Auburn played a year ago either. Stylistically, um, you know, that fun running gun team. But yeah, so you get in this game, you hold the opponent, Auburn to 35% shooting, 6 of 23 from 3, 26%. And you lead for 25 minutes. <laughs> you lead at halftime. You lead right out of the gate. That Kentucky comes out and makes first three shots, a, a three-pointer, a three-point play, and another three-pointer, all three guards. So you, you jump out to an early lead. You lead at halftime. You lead by seven in the second half. You lead by six, or you lead by five with eight minutes to go. You lead by one with four minutes to go, and you lose by nine. Yeah. Um, it's just a, such a weird game. Over the last six minutes of the game, when Kentucky had been control in control, over the last six minutes of the game, Auburn shot 16 free throws to Kentucky's four. Yeah. And made 13. That's a difference of nine points. And what was the mm-hmm. margin in the yeah. final score? Nine points. Um, so I don't know. Obviously, Richards and Hagens playing as poorly as they played is alarming. And it's a it's a reminder that if that happens in the tournament, they're cooked. You know, they have such a thin margin for error that if Hagens plays terrible, they're in big trouble. If Hagens and Richards play terrible, they're done. They they will not. I would venture to guess they will not win a game against a quality opponent if both those guys don't play well. And, um, and you look at Samir Dowdy. Um, you know, one of their big guys, uh, not big as in physical, but one of their you know big contributors. He goes four of ten shooting. One of four from three. Javon McCormick, uh, their other you know big leader, one of five shooting. O of two from three point range. But Dowdy goes fourteen of fifteen at the line. Isaac Okoro, who shoots like twenty six percent from three, hits two huge threes right late in the, the stretch, game. Yep. He winds up going three of eleven for the game, and two of those were those huge threes that he hit. I mean, it just 
And, and he Kentucky, got a dozen free throw attempts. They had yeah, two. They had two yeah. players get. They they had two players make the same number of free throws as Kentucky's team made and attempt more free throws than Kentucky's team did. <laughs> yeah. Two guys had twenty seven free throw attempts to Kentucky's twenty four. I mean, it's just. And if you look at the rebounding, McCormick five rebounds, Dowdy five rebounds, McLemore five rebounds, Cambridge five rebounds, and then of course you got Wiley with ten. Whereas for Kentucky, I mean, Maxie had four, Montgomery had four, I mean, Quickly had five, but then Sestina one, Juzang two, Brooks two, Hagen's zero. It just was, you know, those long rebounds are one thing, but Calipari mentioned in his post game that he saw several where the guys didn't even jump. Yeah. Uh, for offensive rebounds. And so that physical nature of the game, uh, I, I do think, got to Kentucky. And their response was uh, getting called for fouls, really, is, is, is how they reacted to that. I just don't know. I didn't focus on Nick Richards enough to know uh, how badly it was for him. Like uh, I yeah, didn't. I see... think he got. I think he really kind of got pushed around and just didn't have that same level of intensity that he's had. Um, you know, he hasn't faced a lot of guys that are like bigger and stronger than him. And well, he's know, got one coming up on Tuesday. Exactly, and that's that'll be the real measure of of Nick Richards' progress. Is so he's hit some adversity after all this great play against a guy who could bully him physically, and now he's going against another absolute pro. And a big, strong guy too in Reggie Perry, who's six ten, two fifty, and he's averaging like twenty and ten over the last several games. He is on a Reggie Perry is on a tear. Yeah, I think he had like twenty four and fourteen in their win the other day. Um, you know, if he gets handled again, then you say, okay, so Nick can do this against people that he can bully, but when there's another big, strong guy and potential pro across from him, maybe he can't. Because I mean, he hasn't faced a lot of those guys. He's played great, and you can take nothing away. I mean, I am as much on the Nick Richards hype train as anybody because it's been a remarkable transformation. But if it's, you know, all the stuff we've been saying, like he could be all SEC, maybe SEC player of the year, maybe he's an All-American. If that has any truth to it, he will play really well against Reggie Perry because – uh, two games in a row against quality big men getting shut down would be, uh, I think, a, a pretty worrisome indicator. All right, when we return on the Locked on Kentucky podcast, more about uh, Nick Richards. I've got a couple more points I want to make of something I saw over the weekend. And then um, also uh, just uh, some, some more takeaways from this, this game um, uh, and just the margin of error that we talked about a little bit, just how thin that is and why when the Locked on Kentucky podcast continues. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked on Kentucky is a great way for your local business to reach passionate UK fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked on gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with UK fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Kentucky podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777. 
1017 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. We're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And before we finish on Nick Richards, uh, I watch... I usually watch SEC Now on Saturday, uh, the SEC Network show, because they do a great job of wrapping up the day in the Southeastern Conference and really diving deep into the games and the, and the themes and the different things. It's so well produced. It's a really, really great show. And I think Andy Kennedy, the former Ole Miss coach, does an excellent job with his analysis. I think he's really sharp. They have Damian Fish back on there, too, uh, who's from Kentucky, by the way. I think he's uh, Lexington, I believe. Anyway, played at Auburn. But um, they do a great job, and so they were asked, Dari Noka, the, the show host, asked them, okay, guys, give me your most outstanding player so f- to, to this point, and then give me your MVP, meaning most outstanding player in the conference and then most valuable player to his team. And neither of them mentioned Nick Richards or a player – for Kentucky. Uh, they both agreed that Reggie Perry of Mississippi State, who we're talking about that Nick Richards is going to have to face uh, on Tuesday night, was their most outstanding player. And then I think um, Damian Fishback went with Skylar Mays for LSU, uh, and Andy went with, um, now it slipped my mind. But anyway, it wasn't somebody from Kentucky. Uh, so we talk about Nick Richards as a potential player of the year candidate, and I think he is. Uh, but if you're talking about who gets it, uh, it's going to come down to that game uh, Tuesday night, uh, very likely, and who outplays who there uh, in that matchup between Nick Richards and Reggie Perry. And Reggie Perry is a man. If you've not seen him play, uh, he is – I think he's a lottery pick. We'll see how that shakes out. But he is he is really good. Yeah, he is on like a, a heater too. Um, he had 24-12 and 12 against Tennessee. He had 27-8 and 8 against Florida uh, on the road. Uh, he had 26 and 13 against Arkansas, 22 and 12 against Georgia, uh, yeah. all in the last like two weeks. Um, so, but he's also had a game just like Nick just had, uh, right? In between the one loss, can, uh, Mississippi State's won five of the last six. The one loss was a one point loss at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma in the Big 12 Challenge. Yep. And he, I think, got in foul trouble. Uh, played 21 minutes and had seven points and six rebounds. Um, so he's not incapable of a game like that himself. Um, right. But because of the way, in, by and large, he's played here in the last month, I would say Reggie has probably put himself at the top of the player of the year race. Um, I mean, he's averaging 17 and 10, mm-hmm. shooting 52% from the field. There's There are some areas where Nick is better than him and, and – um, you could make an argument for Nick. He blocks a lot more shots, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, he's putting up – Reggie's putting up such gaudy numbers. And I think, too, because Mississippi State is charging. I mean, they've come from the back of the pack to, you know, they can think about uh, an NCAA tournament berth. If they beat Kentucky, I think they'll feel great about that. Uh, they started um, out 0-3 in the conference and now have won five SEC games in a row. Yeah, and so it's interesting, too, I'm looking here at – at Ken Palm, this is wild to me. I'm looking at the Ken Palm rankings, which have been a little weird this year, I feel like. I don't know. Maybe it's just that the that nothing makes sense in college basketball, and the computers even have a hard time figuring it out. But there's not a single top 30 team in the SEC. What? 
Not a single top 30 team in the SEC. Not even Auburn after no. they went over Kentucky? No. Because Kentucky was like 35th. So LSU's 32nd. Auburn is 33rd. Mississippi State is 35th. Kentucky is 36th. Florida is uh, Arkansas is 34th. Florida is 42nd. Mm. Uh, and Alabama is 46th. So there's a bunch of top 50 teams. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams in the top 50 but none in the top 30. Um, LSU now two games ahead of everybody uh, because Kentucky lost 8-0. Yep. Kentucky and Auburn 6-2 and each. Um, Mississippi State, Florida, and South Carolina all 5-3. and three. Right. Um, you know, so after LSU, um, it's a toss-up. I mean, who's going to be the who, – who will be the two seed in the SEC tournament, uh, which is an important – you know, I think probably an important place to end up um, – yeah. So you're opposite yeah. LSU and can you know have a chance to, to meet them in the tournament. In the well, I think LSU, Kentucky, Auburn have separated themselves, and now Mississippi State is the team that's coming on the strongest, in my opinion. Yeah, although, you know, South Carolina, man, you know, that, that Kentucky win mm-hmm. jump-started them. They're 5-3 sure and three in the league now. They have also they have won five out of six as well. Yeah. Uh, their only loss was at Auburn. They, they beat Kentucky, beat Texas A&M on the road beat Vanderbilt, but not super impressive, but blew out Vanderbilt, really dropped the hammer on them. And one one at Arkansas, uh, which is a big win, uh, and then uh, blew out Missouri. So um, South Carolina is now 5-3 and in the league, too. They're they're up to 82nd in in Ken Palm. They've got like three to four really winnable games in a row, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Georgia, Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, if they won all those – That'd be big for Kentucky because that that South Carolina loss has gone from a bad loss to like it could be just fine, you know, no mm. no no big deal. Also, would be huge for the league if South Carolina can get on a run here and get in the tournament. Right. Well, that Mississippi State team that's coming in is big and physical. They have a lot of length. They have uh, the, we've already talked about Reggie Perry, but what's happened for them is that Nick Witherspoon, who was out for a while, he returned to the lineup, and it uh, it seemed like they struggled to like reacclimate because they had to put another point guard in his place but uh they have they've gotten it back and he's playing well uh they they got some players i mean it's going to be a tough tough game for kentucky to win the i guess the, the positive from the auburn loss is that kentucky learned that it has to play more physical against those type of teams and what better way to you know apply the knowledge apply the lesson learned than to face one right away uh and get it at home also, so I think uh, you know Kentucky will be, um, they'll be ready for the challenge, and uh, I think we hear from Kenny Payne on Monday. So tomorrow's podcast, uh, we'll preview the Mississippi State game a little more, and then also Kenny Payne's comments. But one of the other takeaway, I think the big takeaway, your article uh, on the game, uh, I think was spot on when you talk about Ashton Higgins and Nick Richards. Bruce Pearl said it. That's the big takeaway. When you take those two guys away. Kentucky is very beatable. They're very vulnerable. Uh, even if you have Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey step up for 45 points, uh, those two guys are just – they're just everything for Kentucky. And if either one of them get in foul trouble, where do you go? Nate Sestina, EJ Montgomery, Keon Brooks, Johnny Juzang. That's the problem is Kentucky uh, – you know, had Khalil Whitney, and I'm not saying that he would have come on. You know, he could have gone the whole season and not done any better than he had. 
But that's a problem when you lose another scholarship player with that kind of athleticism and talent is you have no option now. You can't work him in. When you're, even when you're in a spot where you have to play him, you can't work him in. I mean, I'm sure uh, – well, we know. I mean, Calipari wanted to, didn't want to play some of those guys the minutes that he wanted to play. I think he even mentioned something about Juzang didn't need to be in the ball game. Um, so that margin for error, and I've heard these complaints before, and I, I fully understand them. You you don't you didn't fill out the rest of your scholarships, and that's the nature of Kentucky in the program under Calipari is players may go after a year. They may come back, but you don't know until after the season. So you have to leave yourself wiggle room there instead of maybe filling out the roster with um, some other guys. Well, and the, the other problem, you know, it's not as simple as just – and I've said to – you know, I've, I've been guilty of saying like, oh, this is what happens when you don't use all your scholarships – but then, one, you, you fill it with people that you wish you hadn't when it turns out next year you could get X, Y, and Z True. elite player. But also, whether you want to admit it or like it or not, anybody that comes to Kentucky, if you recruit them as Kentucky, they have a different perception of what is successful. Um, and so even if you go down a couple notches to the guys in the, you know, 50 to 100 range in the recruiting rankings or whatever, and you go get a guy that you say, oh, this is a four-year player and we can develop him, um, they get here and that's not the expectation all around them. And they ultimately, many of them are not happy in that role. It, it, like you, how, how many, if you're in the top 100, most kids in the top, whole entire top 100 think they can play in the NBA. How many of them really, you know, legitimately can you convince to come just sit and wait? And it's and sit and wait on a maybe because like they also might just recruit over you every single year. Um, I just don't think it's as simple as like use them, or, use them or lose them. You know, uh, I don't know that you want to just go try to sign every, you know, max out thirteen or even eleven scholarships if you're Kentucky a lot of years. Well, my counterpoint. Um, so that would be, and, and no offense to Brennick Canada, who I covered and watched him play at Clark County High School, or Riley Welch from, you know, Littleton, Colorado. Uh, but, you know, they got Dante Allen, you know, and Dante Allen's still recovering. Uh, even if Dante Allen was healthy, does Dante Allen expect to come to Kentucky and be one and done? That, that would be my counter argument when you look at C.J. Frederick at Iowa, who played at Covington Catholic and is hitting 48% from three. He scored 17 points in a win over Illinois on Sunday. Uh, you look at Kiki Tandy, who had 13 points uh, in Xavier's upset on Well, Saturday. let me tell you about Kiki Tandy. I interviewed his dad in the recruiting process, and he said, we're not going to sit somewhere for three years. Right. So, and that was the end of their recruitment. Like, well, he, he you can understand like, that He's no second sure. fiddle. I'm not waiting on the bench. You know, all that stuff. But stay involved with the Dominique Hawkins yeah. and the Derek Willises and and see how that can turn out for you. Imagine if they didn't have Jared Polson um, in right. 2013. You know, I mean, imagine if they didn't have Hawkins and and, and Willis on right. I mean, if they'd it's, gone to the Final Four that year and they were one shot away, those guys were an integral part of that. I mean, Dominique Hawkins became this huge piece yes. by, the, by the time it was over, and we know that that Derek was. Um, so that's so, what I would yeah. say is stay involved with some of those guys that don't, especially in the state, because in the state uh, they understand that they're not McDonald's All-Americans and they understand what the Kentucky program is about and all of that. And you can point to Hawkins and Willis as examples and then say, look, 
we need you to be a piece of this, a part of the plan. And then maybe in year two, three, or four, I think Hawkins even in year two had that game against Michigan, right? Um, uh, yeah. Defensively. Yeah. Um, so that would be my counter argument to that, where you're not sitting there with the situation you had at Auburn where everybody's starting to fa- – you know, getting foul trouble, and you don't have a junior Dominique Hawkins to go to, yeah. or a you know junior Derek Willis to go to in that situation. And the way he started to move Calipari, I think, is the grad transfer route the last two years now, and we'll see if that's how he continues along that path. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, I mean, it's just a. He did it with Julius Mays too. As it's well. a it's a delicate balance. Uh, all of this stuff at Kentucky because it because it's so uncertain every year. That's I mean that's the biggest the biggest fly in the ointment of any of the theoretical. Wouldn't you like to stack your roster this way? Um, whether it's in state, whether it's sprinkling you know young and old, like the biggest fly in the in the theoretical ointment of that is that it, you don't know what you're going to keep year to year. Um, so yeah, because you wouldn't tough. have predicted Tyler Hero would go after. Right. I mean, it's just yeah. it's really tough. One thing, as we're talking about recruiting, I was going to mention, uh, as it relates to Mississippi State, you know, it didn't make sense that they struggled, and maybe a lot of it was Weatherspoon uh, being out. Early on, I wrote, I'm, I referenced uh, the state of the program kind of deep dive I did on Mississippi State in the preseason. I pulled it up here, and I noted uh, that they're starting five where they all ranked. Uh, as recruits, uh, number 29 overall, Weatherspoon, number 96, Carter, number 63, Woodard, number 31, Perry, and number 119, Adu. So that's essentially all five starters were top 100, 100 recru- recruits. Um, and, you know, two of them were five-star level guys. And only Kentucky, Florida, and LSU had better sort of recruiting ranked uh, starting fives. In the league, so they have a top, you know, top third of the mm-hmm. of the conference, top quarter of the conference uh, talent level. And when you got a guy playing the way Perry is, it's certainly something to uh, be aware of. I, I don't think it'll be easy at all for Kentucky. What year on, is he, by the way, on Tuesday know? night? Who Reggie Perry? Uh huh. He's, He's a sophomore, and actually, sophomore. Uh, at the top of this piece I wrote, I interviewed him uh, for that story, and he he actually mentioned that. Uh, one of the big reasons he came back was looking at what P.J. Washington did uh, mm. at Kentucky and just how much he helped himself by coming back. This kid, who was a McDonald's All-American, he only averaged, I mean, not only, it was a great year, but he averaged 9.7 and 7.2 as a freshman. Yeah. Now he's averaging 17 and 10. <laughs> uh, you know, he made a huge leap. Um, and he's he's the real deal. I, I you know, He's not a perfect player by any means, Uh He's 31% from three, you know, so he's not like a real major outside threat, which a lot of people are going to want him to be at the next level. But as a college big man, he's kind of perfect. Um, And he can get there a la Patrick Patterson, you know? Yeah, and, you know, they've got three guys. Can't coach the body. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing is they've got three guys that have – nobody that's like a total rim protector, but they got three guys with at least 20 blocks in 20 games. Um, You know, I do – Perry and uh, Robert Woodard, who's real. I mean, he's yeah. really good. I, I think some yeah. of the mock drafts have him actually going higher. Um, wow! As a six-seven, two hundred and thirty-pound kind of swingman, he's averaging twelve and seven, um, shooting fifty-two percent from the field. Fifty. Like you'd like to get that out of EJ. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, he's he's shooting. 
I don't know that the volume he's shooting threes, but he's shooting 49% from three. Um, I'm going to have to look. Yeah, he actually takes he actually takes two or three threes every game. Yeah. Um, he's hit multiple three-pointers in, like, double-digit games this season. So you got a guy who who's a pretty wide-bodied, you know, 6'7", who will crash the glass like that and can step out and nail a three on you. By the way, who does Kentucky guard him with? Um, it, yeah, I mean, that, you would think EJ Montgomery yeah. would, because Nick's going to have to take Perry. But what do you do with Adu? Right, that's what Kentucky I'm saying. Plays I mean, three guards. You, yeah, yeah. If you're playing with your three guards, then it means Emmanuel quickly is guarding Woodard, and that seems like foul trouble waiting to happen. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. This this will not. I'm telling you, this will not be. An easy game. Of course, now Kentucky will win by 30. But uh, <laughs> it feel, it, this feels like a game where uh, Mississippi State is just now starting to play to the level of its talent uh, in a time where Kentucky just got a reason to doubt itself for the first time in a, in a while. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I think, I think <laughs> Kentucky better show up. Well, we're, we're well over our time, but I, I'd be – uh, remiss if I did not mention your article on Emmanuel quickly that came out fr- came out after we recorded our final podcast of last week, and just um, an amazing job, great story. I love the way you uh, you got to the reveal of you know how his dad has never seen him play in person, and then uh, some of the other parts to it. Uh, just well done. I and, appreciate um, that. Yeah, it was really well received. I was really happy about that. Anytime I do a story like that. I just hope people read it because it's like what you know. Otherwise, yeah. what's the point? And it, it was very well received. It was really the coolest part of the day. Uh, there were two. One was uh, Emmanuel's mom reached out and said that she was like she hadn't even read it yet, and she was already crying because so many people that she knows were reaching out to her mm. about how much they loved it and how proud they were of Emmanuel. Uh, and then Emmanuel uh, apparently was uh, moved by it to send it to his dad. He wanted he wanted his dad to see it because he felt like it would I think touch his dad's heart a little bit. So, really yeah, cool and then and then the timeliness of it when we were talking you and I were texting about this oh, yeah. the player from Tulsa whose father had never seen him play hit the game-winning shot this weekend in the press conference where he talks about it and he's just sobbing about oh, of, of of like how thankful he was. You know, I'm just so glad he was here. I'm just so Glad he was here to see me do this and just weeping. I lost it. I mean, I fell apart. Part of it being a little bit raw from having written Emmanuel's story um, and thinking about what would Emmanuel's emotions be if his dad showed up and so, and was able to see him have a moment like that. So it was cool. I, I was thank you, thank you to for saying that, Dan. Thank you to everybody who uh, subscribed to read it or was already subscribed and read it or commented or shared it or whatever because it's. Uh, it's taken off as one of our more popular Kentucky stories, and that's is always fun when when one that uh, takes a little extra love and time and care to do uh, resonates with people. You know, and mom can tell dad what you know Emmanuel's doing in his life in Lexington, um, but you know, dad has never been to Lexington as you pointed out, um, and, and never seen him play in person. So dad doesn't really know other than what he hears from mom and Emmanuel about how Emmanuel's living his life. And, and you provided documentation of how Emmanuel's living his life right now. It's kind of like, yeah. look, Dad, I can do this, and I am doing it without going the wrong direction. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I just great story. And I, like I said, I think once the NCAA tournament rolls around, 
and uh, those guys get a hold of it, they'll 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 bring it up. That uh, and I, I just can't wait. I hope that we see the moment that Emmanuel Quickly's dad shows up to a game. I, it'd just be yeah, that's a that's made for TV. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it would be it would really be really sweet. I would be it would be a cool thing to me. And I just all I can think about is is what what it would mean, what the reaction would be like for Nick and and like people who care about Nick. I, I mean, not Nick, uh, Emmanuel. I had a lot of people. Um, connected to the program reach out on Friday and just say this is this is like such an emotional thing for everybody that knows Emmanuel like they 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 want to see his dad there they all think I mean people think between he and Nick Richards which is why I was saying Nick's name those two guys I think that staff just they believe are two of the finest human beings that Kentucky's had uh, under Calipari and they are—they're just—they openly root for them. I mean, people behind the scenes just very openly. How could you not? Uh, right. With people who have stories like Nick, sort of having to overcome everything, and 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 a lot of folks know Emmanuel's story. So, anyway, I—it would be cool. I hope I hope we we all get to see that and sort of share in the celebration with uh, Emmanuel that his he and his dad shared that moment. I, I hope it comes before the season's over. Well, apropos that the day after the Super Bowl, we have a super podcast for you that's now going to run about 45 minutes. So uh, (laughs) I hope you enjoy it, folks, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow and preview that Mississippi State game. Until then, you can uh, comment to us, ask us questions that we'll answer on here on Twitter. I am at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R, and Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. All right. Good night, folks. Have a great Monday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Locked on Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.